Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunrise. My name is Caitlin, and I have the privilege of joining you in worship uh, this morning, this Memorial Weekend. Um, and welcome to those who are joining us online as well. Um, we're glad that you're here. We are going to start off with worship through singing. So if you are able, you stand and join us. And those at home, join us not in whatever way is comfortable.
to be reminded of what you have done and to be reminded of what you are doing. Lord, we love you, and that is why we are here to worship you. It's in your name we pray. Good morning, Sunrise. Good morning. My name is Dan Fisher. We're glad that you're here on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the weekend we set aside to remember those who have worn a uniform to defend this country and to uh, allow us to gather in spaces like this. Uh, so for those of you who uh, have family members who have served and are no longer with us, uh, we want to honor you today as well. So thank you. Uh, for the uh, bravery and courage that you had to send off someone to see a brother or sister go off uh, and to defend this country. Before we jump into the sermon this morning, I just want to make a few announcements. First of all, you're going to find most of these announcements on this Summer at Sunrise handout that we've got printed out. They're back on the welcome table back there. You can grab one of these on the way out. It has all kinds of goodies on it. Like Three's Company. Three's Company is where three households, whether you're single, married, married kids, whatever, roommates, um, get together with two other households three times a month, three different places, and you just have fun. You can grab a meal together. You can play, I don't know, yard darts, whatever it might be. But there are lots of fun things that you can do. Uh, for this summer, thank you for coming at 9 o'clock this morning. We'll meet from 9 o'clock until, I don't know, like 30 or so. <laughs> okay, you are here. Um, we'll meet at 9 o'clock during the summer, uh, during the summer until we get to Labor Day weekend. That's the last weekend we'll be meeting at 9 o'clock. Uh, the last thing I want to point out is June 4 and 5. We have another summer camp out here at Sunrise. Last time we did this, we had a video, a movie that we projected onto the side of the barn out there. We had tents, campers. It was a load of fun. You can come for just a couple of hours that night. You want to stay all night and then hang out with us in the morning. Or you like just, just going through the morning all the... Because you like to wake up when the dew is still on the ground. On a day that you don't have to get up. And you want to drive out here and say hi to people whose breath is terrible, whose hair is smashed on the side of their face. You're more than welcome to do that. Come for any part of it that you'd like, whether it's a small piece or all of it. Again, there are a lot of announcements here that you can check out. Make sure you grab one of these, stick it on your fridge. You'll probably lose it in your backseat of your car if you have little ones. That's okay. Uh, but that has all kinds of information on it that we want to make sure to get into your hands. Okay. If you are new, this is your first time here, or you've been here for a while, you have questions, things that come up during the course of our conversation, you're welcome to scan the QR code. And if you're in the rooms on the shares uh, in front of you, there's also a QR code that sometimes magically is here. But there are links that will show up for you guys watching on Facebook, too. It gets you to our page where there's all kinds of information where you can give, you can fill out a form that says, hey, I have questions. Here's how you can pray for me. Or I really like Caitlin's voice this morning. Thank you, Caitlin, for leading this. All right. Uh, my, final two, uh, my final announcement is last week, we introduced you guys to two different logos. Um, and that's not showing up. I can't find them. Are the slides gone, guys? Okay. So while that's coming up, a couple of years ago, <laughs> we started getting some feedback from some folks uh, that it might be a good idea to refresh the logo. Uh, we have a sign out front that needs to be finished. If we're going to finish it, we have to make sure that the logo that's out there is the one that we want. And so uh, at the end of last year, before, uh, before the beginning of the year, 
we had some conversations about doing just that. And so the directors, the elders, we had some conversations, thought about it. The budget was in a great place then. So we decided, yeah, let's go ahead and trigger a logo refresh. We're at the point now where after several months of conversations with the directors, the elders, and the staff, we have two versions of a logo that we want to bring to you. We brought this to you last week to ask for your feedback before a final decision is made. Some of you have already given us feedback, and we really appreciate that. Your feedback in this is important. Whether you want to find me or an elder, uh, before, after, during the service, whatever, you're welcome to do that. But let us know what you think. Um, again, here's one of the op- There are the two options right there. So we've gotten some feedback on the dark sun. Great, helpful feedback. Give us all of the feedback that you have. We want to gather that up and make the best decision that we can for a logo moving forward. Here's what we know. A logo does not make us who we are any more than this shirt makes me who I am. What is extremely important to our current elders, staff, and directors is what has always been true of the staff, elders, and directors here at Sunrise. And that is that the purpose that God has given us, the mission, the vision, the values that we have, we believe have come from God. And we want to take who we have been, celebrate that, acknowledge that, and continue to move forward in the direction that he is calling us. Not to separate ourselves from where we've been or who we have been, but to continue to mature into who God has called us to be. So continue to give us feedback. Uh, Again, you can find me, you can find any of the elders, you can find a staff person, let us know what you think, whether that's via email, text, phone call, or if you just want to stop by with a tray of cookies and let us know. You're welcome to do that as well. All right. I'm not quite sure how to get to these slides, but I should be good. All right. I'm going to close this down while I'm doing that. Let's pray. God, this morning we come to you as a people who um, are walking out of the very same and yet extremely different weeks. And we're getting ready to walk into the same calendar week, but a week that for some of us probably has some exciting things in it, some things that uh, we're not quite ready for and things that will be surprises for us. God, we pray that as we walk into this week that we would take what you're, we believe you're teaching us this morning in your word. Uh, and bring that with us so that we bring you, your presence, and your transforming love and grace with us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, here we go. There it is. We've been on this long journey following this timeline, and we're nearing the end of the timeline, okay? Yes. Uh, this, this series has broken every kind of seminary rule that there is about preaching. They say like four weeks is all you should do for a, a preaching series. And to that we said, phooey. This morning, we're looking at the story of Saul, who becomes Paul. If you know much about the New Testament, this is the guy who wrote about 25% of your New Testament. He's a pretty important guy. He's pivotal. If this story that we are looking at today did not happen, the church of Jesus Christ could look dramatically different than it does today. And so... We've been talking about this all along the way, but the storyline of all of history has been leading in a direction so that it ends in the culmination of all things, where the full kingdom of God that God has wanted for this world and for the heavens come together as one and resemble what was created in the Garden of Eden, where there's perfect humanity, there's harmony, there's love, there's justice, but we live in such an individualized world that it's easy to think that we live a life that isn't on a timeline, that locks arms with the history of what has gone before us and the future that is coming. 
But Saul's story is one that very clearly shows us that at least Saul stood on a timeline. We, as we look at the story, hopefully see the same thing. So, if you want to follow along in your Bible, you're welcome to do that, of course. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at the first 19 verses where we find these words that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, writes for us. Luke is a doctor. Let me pause for just a second. Luke is a doctor who heard the words of Jesus, believed them, embraced them. He wrote down the book of Luke and Acts. There was a period of time where secular historians Archaeologists did not believe that the Bible and what it claims specifically in the book of Acts about places, what actually happened, didn't happen. They said there's no archaeological evidence for it. Since then, archaeologists have found, wait a minute, there's a whole load of stuff that we've been able to verify from the book of Acts that gets us to the point where we can say Luke was an exemplary historian. So this doctor-turned-historian has become a model for even current-day historians, and it's to his words that we look this morning. Meanwhile, Saul, this is our main character, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Pause for a second. If you reverse, if you go rewind in the book of Acts, you hear a little bit about the story of Saul. In Acts chapter 6, we meet a man named Stephen. He is someone who had followed Jesus for a while. This was a huge no-no in the eyes of the Jewish church. It was a huge no-no in the eyes of Saul. And so Saul was one of the men who was standing there circling Stephen as Stephen was stoned for believing that Jesus was more than just a prophet. Stephen was stoned for believing that Jesus was the one for whom all of history was pointing to help us see that Jesus was the way to God. Stephen is a threat to the people who follow Jesus. So here we have him again in Acts chapter 9. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, this means Christians. This is the first uh, name for people, the group of people who follow Jesus, people of the way. Whether men or women, so he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, The Roman Empire decided to grant to the Jewish faith community a level of sovereignty that would allow them to establish their own laws for their community, and should they need to, they could cross outside of the Roman boundaries and into any other country to pursue the Jewish people for whom the Jewish laws that were set up uh, were for. And so for Saul here, as a religious, stout Jew, firmly ensconced in this Jewish synagogue structure where you have the Sanhedrin with 71 different judges, and they appoint 32 lower judges who are the rulers of this Jewish community that has its sovereignty from Rome. Paul goes to them and he says, look, there are some of our people who claim to be part of us who are over in Damascus. They're starting to follow this Jesus guy. They're not following you guys anymore. They don't honor the structure of the church. They probably are going to church with jeans on. And they're praying to this man named Jesus. And they believe that he is the Messiah who was yet to come. And you guys know that's a threat to our structure. Would you give me papers so that I can go as a bounty hunter and find these Christians and subject them to our laws? This is what Saul does. And the 
The professional Jewish religious leaders, I'd like to think of them with their really long Dumbledore kind of beards and their wafty kinds of pens. They didn't have pens then, but I like to imagine that. Gathered around and they drew up the paperwork that was necessary for Saul so that he could legally travel the 130 miles north from Jerusalem up to Damascus. Now, Chicago is about 130 miles from here. That's about how far Saul had to go. Saul is from a community of people who are good, sturdy Jews. And they do the right thing. It might be from a community that, if it was today, looked like this. Humble homes. Cookie cutter, really nice neighborhoods. You don't have to worry about your kids, right? There's a picture of Jenison, by the way. He set sail on a 130-mile journey. This is not uh, US-196, just by the way. Uh, this is roads in Israel, that paved road that you can kind of see there if you have really great eyes, is the King's Highway. That's a highway that's referenced in the Old Testament. It's still a very commonly used, important road that connects countries to each other. You can also see the dirt paths here that are roads as well. And if you look at the bottom of the screen there, you can see people walking. Can you see those guys? So that gives you a little bit of a view of the expansiveness of this area that Paul is walking through. It's about a six-day walk, or if you're driving to Chicago, it's like an hour and a half drive from here, if you're with Mike Dorn. If you're with me, <laughs> both of you are nodding. That's awesome. <laughs> it really should be, what, three hours? Something like that? I like to drive like Mike Dorn does. Anyway, Saul sets out on this journey. He leaves his humble home where everything is predictable. And he has an idea of what truly religious people should look like who are over there, and they're not fitting the picture. And so he gets his paperwork in hand, he sets sail, metaphorically speaking, because he's walking, for a place called Damascus. This is Chicago. Now, I don't know what Damascus looked like at the time, but it was a place where friends of ours could go, and you can hide. I mean, if you look closely here on the bottom left corner, you can see some cars there on the road. There are multiple floors there where you can go. If we were to send uh, Penny Plowman to Chicago, and then we all got in our vehicles and went to go try to find her, we'd probably need a little bit of legal help to find her, right? Now, my guess is that these people who Paul, who Saul is after in Damascus are people who have run away from Jerusalem because they have found that they don't fit the religious structure of the day because they have decided to follow Jesus and to live in his ways, and that challenges what the social construct of the religious world looks like. So Saul goes after them. He is invested. He loads up his animals if he takes them. Perhaps he has weapons with him. We don't know. But we do know that he's going there to ruthlessly look for men and women and children who follow Jesus and that he already has a pattern of murdering them because it's been sanctioned by the synagogue. So on his way, this is where we left off with reading the text here, Saul sees a bright light from heaven, and if we pick it back up here, it says that Saul fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute those people? No. Why do you persecute me? 
There's something significant here. In the Psalms, we are told that we are the apple of God's eye. Now, we like to think of that as this shiny red apple that's sitting up here on the teacher's desk, and any teacher with their right mind would look at that apple and start to salivate and think, I want that. But what that actually, what that phrase actually means is the iris of my eye. You, my people, are the iris of my eye. I'd like to have a volunteer come up here for a second, and I'd just like to poke you in the eye real quick. Could somebody come up? Somebody be willing to do that? Yeah? (laughs) Imagine if someone were to come up to you and take their pointer finger and try to poke you right in the iris. What would you do? You'd move out of the way. Here is Saul, who's got his finger ready, pointed at the eye of God as it is that he's going after the people who follow Jesus. And God doesn't say to Saul, leave those people alone. He says, if you mess with them, you mess with me. If you have ever wondered how much God loves you, take these words here that we can run past so quickly as a source of affirmation of God's love for you. So Saul asks, who are you, Lord? Pro tip. If you're ever driving on 196 on your way to Chicago and there is a bright light that comes up and a voice that says, why are you persecuting me? Tack Lord on the end of your question. Who are you, Lord? (laughs) It's probably a pretty good indication that there's something big happening. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and turn around and go back home. This is what I would have said to Paul. Get out of here. Leave those people alone. Turn around and go back where you came from. No. God's movement here with Saul is not to say, go a different route, pursue something completely different. Go to another city, change your job. No, 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 no. Jesus comes to Saul and he says, go to the same people that you are pursuing with a huge gusto that causes you to invest six days of your life traveling for them, and instead of persecuting them, once you get there, you're going to be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul, so he's not by himself, he's got a little bit of a posse with him, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anybody. There's a level of a personal call here that Saul cannot articulate clearly to the people around him in such a way that they will understand it. When a follower of Jesus, when someone whom God begins to move on, like he does with Saul, when he makes an impression on someone's life that it changes their life, there is something that happens beyond the view of our physical eyes. Saul has experienced this. And he can only try to begin to tell the people around him of what it is that's begun to happen. And they've only heard about it. Saul finally gets up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. He's blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. This powerful man who was known for ruthlessly killing people is now being held, walked like a child down the road to Damascus for who knows how many miles, completely humiliated. For three days, he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. 
This guy's world was rocked. How many times have you decided, you know what, I'm not going to eat or drink for three days? I mean, I've decided a few times that I was going to fast for a day, but then two o'clock came around and I was hungry. So I ate. This is a significant move in Saul's life for the God of heaven whom he has been dedicating his life to to come to him and say, Saul, stop pursuing these people the way that you are. Don't go after them with fists. Don't go after these people with judgment because as you're going after them, you're coming after me. And the radical love of God that comes to even a murderer is enough to cause Saul to shut his mouth and to not eat or drink. He finally makes his way to Damascus. And in Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. So this is kind of another scene. Ananias, we don't know if he's at work. We don't know if he's at home sleeping. But somehow God enters his dreams in a way where Ananias knows what's happening. And so Saul, or Ananias, just like Saul, when he hears the voice of God, says, Yes, Lord. This has an echo a bit of the Old Testament story of Samuel being called. The Lord says to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. Saul is in a place in his life where he is dependent on me and he is asking me what he should do. He's no longer going to the synagogue and saying, religious structure of the day, give me exactly what I need to do so that I can confidently go into this world and do the work of the synagogue. No, right now Saul is on his knees in a place where he clearly knows that he needs me. So the Lord told Ananias, go there and find him. Place his hands I'm sorry, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. I know that he was there given a thumbs up like in the Facebook post of Stephen being stoned. Stephen was a humble man. He worked hard. Maybe he was a carpenter, he had a family, some kids, and all he decided to do was to decide that Jesus and the love of God showed up most strongly on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this Saul killed him. And yet, God, you want me to go close enough to him to touch his eyeballs? Are you ready to accept that there might be someone in your life who has an awful track record when it comes to how people are treated, and God might be saying to you, get close enough to them that they could kill you. And so not only is there this extravagant love of God shown in the presence of Saul, where God comes and he says, you, Saul, a murderous person, are worth my love, my interrupting your life. But we also have the story of Ananias, To whom God comes and he says, Ananias, I know that you are fearful. I'm asking you to trust me. Would you love Saul as much as I love you? Okay. (laughs) He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest anybody who calls on your name. God, do you not see what's happening? 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him he, how, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. At Pentecost, we had Jews gathering together in a place where Jews gather to celebrate Pentecost. And Jewish people are gathered around and they're hearing the voice of God come to them as a miracle where Peter and his apostle friends are speaking a language that somehow is interpreted into several different languages so that all of the people who are there, Jews, are able to hear the word of God. Here we have Saul, who God is setting aside to be the person to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, not to Jews, but to Gentiles. That's you, and that's me. And poor Ananias is this guy who's doing his job. God comes to him and says, Would you love Saul? I was a Saul for a while. I went to a Christian school. I tucked in my shirt. I always wear a belt in my belt loops. I didn't date. I kissed dating goodbye. I didn't say bad words. I grew up in a Baptist church. I got good grades. I was good with the sword drill. When I first got my driver's license, I would speed some, but it was only on back roads where people couldn't see me. I would do my devotions and learn my Bible verses so that I could go to camp like all good religious people do. And I had an axe to grind against Nazarenes and Episcopalians and Catholics and Methodists because those people don't know God. They don't fit the structure of the Baptist church. And I would have arguments with people about what they believe women can or can't do. How much God does or doesn't love you, and does he love you before you love him, or do you love him before he loves you? And all those different kinds of conversations that are worthless. And I was picked on. I burnt relational bridges with other people. And it wasn't until I was in high school almost... Actually, it was, after, it was the summer after I had graduated from high school. I understood what grace was. I wasn't driving on 94 headed toward St. Joe. I wasn't hit by a bright light. I wasn't blinded, and I still ate. Trust me, I was young enough that I could eat a ton, and I was just fine. I ate. But there was something in my life that changed. How about you? Because of me, there were some folks whose lives were not very comfortable. People who lost a, a friend because I thought what I believed, the way I structured things was more important than this person over here. Like Saul thought of people who followed Jesus. 
But there was this guy named Dan Galladay, great friend of mine. He was like the Ananias in my life. John Hostler was like an Ananias in my life, who took the time to find me and say things like, Dan had some really honest words for me. If you were my size, I was smaller than him, believe it or not. There you go, you're still with me. He'd say, if you were my size, I would be scared to death of you. Those words didn't feel so good. He'd sit across from me as we would sit in the gym youth group. There was always a time where we'd have two chairs lined up, and I would sit in one, and Dan would sit in the other every week. And everybody else would be paired up, upperclassmen, underclassmen. And Dan would hear about how my week was, faithful Ananias. And he'd love me. And that softened me. Not just to Dan, not just to me, not just to God's grace, but to the people around me. And I think that's something like what happens to Saul here. Something that God wants Ananias to do for Saul is something similar to what someone who took the time to get to know you did for you. Who is your Ananias who has helped you see God's love even when you were not a person who seemed very lovable? And then to whom are you supposed to be an Ananias? I think there's some of that in this story too. All right, let's get back to the text. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placed his hands on Saul, and he said, you piece of, no. He says, brother Saul, there's a relational connection here with someone that should not be a brother because of the work of God. He says, Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up. He was baptized. What that means is he decided to throw off everything that he thought before about who Jesus was, who God was, and to say, you know what? I'm leaving that all behind. I am all in. I'm going into the waters to follow the way of Jesus. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. God's love pursues everyone. <laughs> From the very beginning of the story, from Adam and Eve through the story of Joseph who happened to fall off the timeline. He's down here, Joshua, but he's still really important to us. Joshua fell off, he's on the chair, he's comfortable till we can get him back up there. But even through that story, through the story of Nehemiah, through the story of Jesus, through the story of the five loaves and the fish, the Last Supper, through all of these stories, we see a movement of God toward everyone. And in the story of Saul, we see the same thing. A murderous person who stands firmly against anything that has to do with an unorganized ragamuffin, Jesus is the person we're going to hang our life on kind of movement. And God chooses to love Saul, not just personally and directly by coming and seeing him on the road, but he also asks the people of God and the person of Ananias to love Saul as well. God's love pursues all of us. 
It turns darkness into light. It turns the dry ground that we're still waiting to spring back to life with enough rain coming to it into a beautiful garden. It takes what is broken and makes it right. It takes a murderer and turns him into a life bringer that lasts for generations so that you are holding in your hands words that Saul, who became Paul, became convinced were true so that we could be a people who would know who God is. How can we not see that God's love moves through this whole story, through the life of Saul, through Ananias, and through us even today? That is one of the greatest reasons why my wife and I decided that this is a church we wanted to be a part of, because this church has said since its beginning and all the way through to now and will always continue to say that we want to transform this world, not with our great sermons, not with our really great logos, not with the really great food that we can make, but with the love and the grace of God. God's love has shown up in your life. Do you see it? Are the scales on your eyes the right scales to have on? The scales on Saul's eyes kept him from being able to do the destructive things that he had set out to do. So many of us have scales on our eyes like Saul had when he was in Jerusalem and we say everything has to go according to the way that I think it has to go and I will judge those just like Dan Fisher judged those who loved Jesus. Tanner, Penny, the Lonies, the Matice family, These are people who are currently working with our kids, our students, to help them see that our idea of what it looks like to follow God, where we can say you have to live in the right kind of house, you have to wear the right kind of clothes, you can't be Nazarene. Those of you who are watching, if you're Nazarene, we don't really think this. I did as a Baptist kid growing up. You can't swear. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that those are all things that we should be doing, but all of us can create a mental construct of what it means. For Saul and for the Jews, it meant you've got to follow all of these rules. Tanner and Penny are trying to work very hard with our kids from the very youngest of ages. The three things we want them to know is that God made you, God loves you, and Jesus wants to be your friend forever. Those are the main three things we're focusing on from nursery to like three years old. You don't have to follow all these rules. You need to know that you're loved. Tanner has taken the time this summer to sit with students and walk through material that has helped them realize that they're not alone in their anxiety. They have all kinds of questions like we do about where God is in the midst of the pandemic. What is God up to when I have so much homework to do and it feels like there are Saul's in different forms coming after me to take me out? Tanner has invested his time to do just that. We want to be a church that continues to be a place that sees the Saul's in our world and says, God, if you want me to get close enough to this person, 
so that they can experience your love and your grace. Whether it's in youth group, whether it's in Three's Company, whether it's camping out here, or it's at work or at school, God, I will do that. If you were to sum all of this up, to take it into a nice, compact statement that I hope you're able to mentally carry with you into this next week, carry with you as you pack up your luggage and your belongings and you go off to college for the first time. The words are these. God's love pursues all. That's it. God's love pursues all. The people we would write off like a murderer The people we would write off because they don't think exactly the same way that we do. God loves them. Those of us who have lived a life and have accumulated the dents and we've been rear-ended in life, we've gotten off the road, we've been in the ditch, God's love pursues all. And for that, God, we give you thanks. We invest our lives in so many things. (laughs) We can pursue a group of people with an agenda in mind about how it is they should be living, how it is they should see you. And God, I thank you for the times in my life where when I have been pursuing people to tell them what I think about things, you have helped me realize that I need to see and love them in the same way that you see and love me. God, I have driven my car off the road of life and into the ditch plenty of times, and you've seen it. And you've sent people along to be an Ananias to help me get back on track. God, for the people in this room who are Saul's, who are looking for an Ananias, would you remind them that they're loved? That no matter what they've done, no matter where they have gone, They're still like that iris of your eye. And when they are mistreated, you're mistreated. God, for those of us in this room who are are Ananiases and we're struggling to hear your voice and to obey it when it says to go and love these people that everyone says you shouldn't love, God, we pray for strength. For the moms and dads who are tired and they're struggling to love an adult child who has gone off in a different way. God, give them endurance. For those who are watching who are wondering how it is they can get close to someone who doesn't really seem to want anybody to get close to them, God, I pray that you give them wisdom and discernment. Shoot, I pray that you'd show up in their dreams You can do that. There's no place we can go where you don't see us. There is no way that you can't communicate to us. Call us as men, women, children to be your people who want to partner with you to transform this world with your love and your grace and not our own agendas. God, you are so good to us. 
You have turned so many dark nights into bright days. You have been the sunrise of our lives that we have needed. We love you and we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. The God we serve is ridiculously good to us. And we get to come together and sing some songs about that. We get to communicate that love to each other, to the kids who are with us, to the adults who are with us. At the end of every service, we've got an opportunity to talk with folks, to encourage each other, to hear stories. We used to do that with donuts. We might do that with donuts in the future. We don't know. But we don't have to have donuts to do that. We sing songs at the end of our services to help those of us who love to sing, to celebrate God's love together. We offer an opportunity for people to give money so that they can do that in such a way that they can say, God, you are so good, I want to give you what I can give you financially. We have people who link up, who want to volunteer in different ways at Sunrise or in the community so that they can say, God, your love is great. In whatever form that takes for you this morning, we hope that's what you do. We're going to sing a song. Sing your hearts out. Let's praise the God whose love pursues all. If you're able, will you stand and join us?
God's love is enough to change us into his children. We're no longer his enemies, but we are his children. Everyone outside of this building, everyone in this building, everyone watching online is pursued not by a murderous God who wants to make things right, but by a loving God who is making things right. And so this week, as you go into the week, whether you're going to Chicago or you're staying here in Jenison, may we be a people who, with God, transform this world with his love and his grace. Sunrise, we love you. Have a great week.